We are kicking off the 180th episode of Monster Kid Radio with the song Music to Watch Girls By. It's by the band the Cronchong Devils. It's from their album The Surf and Sounds of the Cronchong Devils. And it appears on this podcast, this episode of Monster Kid Radio with their permission. You can find them on Facebook and Bandcamp and you can hear the song in its entirety at the end of the show. Welcome to the episode, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Derek M. Cook, the writer, producer, and host of What We're Doing Today. And what we're doing today is getting back to our conversation with Jonathan Malcolm Lampley about Vincent Price and his book, Women in the Horror Films of Vincent Price. This was an awesome epic conversation that I had with Jonathan. People who heard the first part of the conversation a couple of days ago already know this. If you're new to the show, welcome aboard. You can dive right in with this one and then go back to listen to the last one if you like what you hear. MonsterKidRadio.net is where you're going to find everything you need to know about Monster Kid Radio between episodes. This is where you're going to find links to things like our Amazon store where you can buy a copy of Jonathan's book and we get like a penny or two out of that because we're an Amazon affiliate. You can find our live 365 internet radio station. This is where you're going to hear music and trailers from classic monster movies. This is the kind of stuff that I listen to day in and day out. I thought I'd share it with you guys and gals by creating this live 365 internet radio radio station you can also find a link to our patreon page where you can become a patron of the podcast and support us that way and a link to our facebook group where conversations are happening with listeners of monster kid radio between episodes and listeners are taking part in our current monthly poll right now i've got a poll going on facebook if you're in the group you've already seen this this is a poll asking you what your favorite public domain classic monster movies are house on haunted hill is at the top of the list as of this recording will february end with house on haunted hill at the top of the list well find out if you haven't voted in the poll yet please head over there and get your voice heard speaking of having your voice heard in this episode, you're also going to hear from some listeners of Monster Kid Radio who have called in with their picks for their favorite women in classic horror. Had some voicemails come in. I'm going to be sharing that with everybody at the end of the episode. Before we get to all that, though, a brief call to action. So I mentioned the Facebook group. Monster Kid Radio also has a Facebook page. Just go to Facebook.com slash Monster Kid Radio. Now, if you are a Facebook user and you haven't already done so, I'm going to ask you to like our Monster Kid Radio page. As of this recording, 496 likes, and we are four away from hitting our 500-like goal. Our goal is to get this by the end of February as of this recording. As of this episode, that means we've got two more days to make that happen because I was thinking ahead and set this goal in the shortest month of the year. But, you know, if we can get to 500 likes by the end of February... That would be awesome. So if you're a Facebook user, please consider doing us a solid and liking us over there. All right, let's go ahead and get back to our conversation with Jonathan Malcolm Lampley right after this. The man they are burying in a subterranean world of horror is a victim of the Oblong Box. Now, for the first time, Vincent Price and Christopher Lee star in Edgar Allan Poe's tale of the living dead, The Oblong Box. The Oblong Box in color from American International is rated M. With the tranquility of rural England shattered by civil war, evil was spawned at a time of strife in the land. Take him, Stern. Look for the devil's marks upon him. Right. How about you, Duke? 
hounding the innocent in violence and terror. This evil man showed no mercy in the pursuit and interrogation of his victims. He was called the Witch Finder General. And amidst the horror of the witch hunt, a story of tender young love. Didn't your uncle just say you must hurry to bed? He did. And isn't he a wise man? He is. But even their innocence is cruelly corrupted by the vile touch of the witch finder general. My motive in coming here was to find the truth. Vincent Price is the witch finder general. Lust and greed were his only gods. The money from the magistrate. Nine guineas in silver. Good. Now we can leave. Ian Ogilvy as Richard Marshall. He stood alone against the forces of devilish destruction. And tis in thy sight, O Lord. But I hereby swear that I shall not rest from the pursuit of his murderers till they stand before thee, ready to answer to thee for their sins. Rupert Davies as John Lowe's. Master Marshall, welcome. Patrick Weimark as Oliver Cromwell. Amongst the most pleasurable aspects of victory, gentlemen, is the opportunity it affords to reward valour. It ranks almost with good food. And Wilfred Bramble. And uh, what line of business might you be in? God's business. Witch finding. Witch finding. Oh, that's nice. That's very nice. And introducing Hilary Dwyer as Sarah. Filmed in authentic detail and photographed with piercing realism against the actual background of peaceful villages and quiet countryside. Never has England looked so beautiful, yet been so violent. I'm your man friend. John Stern, they call me. Man's inhumanity to man portrayed on the screen so vividly that you flinch. So real that you too will fear the witch finder general. Be the first to see it. Be the first to talk about it. The witch finder general. Hammer Film Productions began in 1934, and after producing almost 200 films and television programs, the studio is still releasing and re-releasing new and classic film titles. 1951 Downplace is the podcast that brings you the story of the great Hammer films, one movie at a time. Here are your hosts describing what Hammer means to them. First is Casey. Hammer means the beautiful and glamorous women of Hammer Horror, the engaging storytelling and amazing period films. Joining him is Derek. Hammer means the incredible work of actors like Peter Cushing, Christopher Lee, and even Michael Ripper. The gothic storytelling, the incredible music, and the set pieces. And finally, here's Scott. Hammer, that 1972 black exploitation film starring Fred Williams, love that movie. <laughs> this boy has a lot to learn. Join our hosts as they make their journey through the Hammer Films catalogue and discuss each film with critical opinion, historical facts, production notes and other information about these classic films. 1951 Downplace can be found in iTunes or their website www.1951downplace.com Better not be the 2003 flick starring Adam Goldberg, you know, the Hebrew Hammer. 1951 Downplace, the home of Hammer Films discussion. Tonight, meet the twisted genius of Edgar Allan Poe. Experience a terrifying tale of druid witchcraft and the scream that kills. Cry of the Banshee. American International presents new heights in horror never before filmed. Vincent Price stars in this new adventure in Terror and Torture. Don't miss Cry of the Banshee 
You'll learn to fear it. Rated GP. You know, a lot of people ask me, well, what's your favorite of the Poe adaptations? Which one is the best? I, I was going to ask you. <laughs> well, there you go. That features a punch, I'm afraid. <laughs> that is a really hard question for me to answer. I would have to say, well, if we just go with the movies that Corman directed. Okay. Because remember, he left the series, and they made a few more films where they put an Edgar Allan Poe title and not much else on the film. So if we include all of the films that are allegedly based on Poe, that Vincent Price did. My answer is very easy. It's Conqueror Worm oh, from okay. 1968. There's no doubt that's the best in my mind. Mm-hmm. If we limit it to the original was it seven films uh, Corman did, there's no doubt in my mind that it's a much harder question to answer. There's basically a four-way tie in my mind. Okay. Between House of Usher, Pit and Pendulum, Mask of the Red Death, and Tomb of Lygia. There are so much more elaborate films because you get better cast. One of the things in these AIP films is it's obvious they spent most of the budget getting Vincent Price to be in them because <laughs> usually most of the supporting actors aren't very good. Right. <laughs> they do have Barbara Steele and Pitt the Pendulum, but I, I believe her lines are dubbed. When you get to the films they made in England, you get wonderful people like Patrick McGee later in A Clockwork Orange. Mm-hmm playing a supporting role in uh, Mask of the Red Death. You get Jane Asher, who was Paul McCartney's girlfriend at the time in Mask of the Red Death. You, you just get these wonderful English actors playing the supporting roles, and, and the films are just so much better for it. What lovely music for a murder, or two, or three, or nine. Who's this? Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to meet a dear friend. Nine killed you. Nine shall die. Your wife no vibes. But you I will kill. But you can't, doctor. I am already dead. Here, how are we going to get him off this? You take his head and I'll take his feet. Let's unscrew him. Dr. Vibes, who samples the finer things of life in his own inimitable way. Because uh, boils, bats, frogs, oh, frogs, yes, and because of blood. Curse of hail in the bloody middle of nowhere. Are you ready for Dr. Fives? Well, you know, my favorite Vincent Price movies mm-hmm. are The Honorable Dr. Fives and Theater of Blood. The first one is an AIP film. The second one, not AIP, but clearly inspired by AIP. And both films have these excellent British casts that I mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. And that's part of why they're so good. And I think Vincent really appreciated working with actors of that caliber. We know Theater of Blood was his favorite of the horror films because he got to work with these legends of the British stage. I think actors 
bring the best out in each other mm -hmm. when they uh, work together on films. And certainly, the best actors, there's, there's a little bit of competition, a little bit of rivalry. And of course, sometimes uh, we've heard of legendary Hollywood feuds, Betty Davis and Joan Crawford or whatnot, but and so sometimes it becomes personal animosity. But usually, even friends have a, a sort of friendly competition trying to bring more to the parts they play. And I think that's why it's so wonderful to have great actors in films, because you can sense that they're playing off of each other and making each other stronger performers. Definitely. And, and you can see that in the Better Vincent Price movies, when he's surrounded with a really good cast. I mean, that's when those movies stand out. You mentioned The Conqueror Worm, Winch Fighter General. That is what that is my favorite Vincent Price film, hands down, because I think he's amazing, but I don't think this movie would be a particularly favorite if he wasn't surrounded by so many other amazing elements. You know, the other performers, the set, the production design of that movie is fantastic. Oh, absolutely. I love that film. That's definitely one of my favorites. Yeah. I think it still packs a punch. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it was sharply criticized for its depiction of violence when it came out. Mm -hmm. But uh, it's become a great critical and cult favorite since then. It's mm -hmm. my third favorite Vincent Price film. Oh, okay. Uh, all, all three of my favorite Vincent Price films make my top ten list of top ten horror films of all time. Wow. So that shows you how highly I regard him. Conqueror Worm still packs a punch, though. Mm -hmm. I agree. Uh, I have shown it in my intro to film class. Unfortunately, the, the, the climax got some laughs from students, and I was like, what's so funny about it? And I realized that the laughs were a letting up of the tension of the film that it mm. built in, in, a, in a very different way from any other horror picture we had seen. It's just that intense a film that at a certain point, I guess you have to laugh to keep from screaming. It wouldn't do for the dean to hear the students screaming, so I'd rather them laugh. You know? <laughs> yeah, good point. Good point. <laughs> I have enough problems without that. <laughs> <laughs> so of the women that have been in the Vincent Price movies, it's Barbara Steele's probably the answer here, but Barbara Steele, your favorite Vincent Price leading lady? Oh, gosh. That's actually a tougher question than you may think. Okay. Barbara Steele is certainly my favorite of those actresses. You know, she's an icon in the genre. Sure. But I really like Hazel Court, who plays opposite Vincent in um, The Comedy of Terrors and okay. later in uh, Mask of the Red Death. And of course, she was in the Hammer horror film, Curse of Frankenstein, and uh, was just such a wonderful actress. So I have to say, you know, Hazel Court did more films with Vincent than Barbara Steele. Mm-hmm. Although overall, yes, Barbara's my favorite of those actresses. But I think the most interesting on-screen dynamic over the course of Vincent's career, in horror films anyway, of course he, he made several films early in his career with the great Gene Tierney, like Dragonwick and Laura. But in his horror films, I think the most interesting dynamic comes from his co-star and Conqueror Worm, Hilary Dwyer. He made three films with Dwyer, She's his victim in The Conqueror Worm. She's his wife in The Oblong Box, which came out the next year, 1969, in which Michael Reeves would have directed, but unfortunately he died before production began.
And then in the last of the so-called Poe adaptations, Cry of the Banshee, she plays Price's daughter. And Dwyer's been quoted as saying when they made that film, Vincent said, well, if we make another movie together, you're going to have to play my mother. (laughs) It's so interesting. She goes from victim to wife to daughter. And I think very convincingly. She's awfully young to be his wife in the oblong box. Certainly young enough to be his daughter. But it works. So, again, you're right. Overall, Barbara Steele's my favorite of his co-stars, his female co-stars. But there's something about the dynamic with Hilary Dwyer in the three films they did together that is mm-hmm. just really interesting to watch. One of the things that I love about Monster Kid Radio is that whenever I have somebody on and they start talking about one of their favorite films or a performance that they really enjoy, it just adds another movie to the top of my to-watch list. So <laughs> I, I've been taking have you notes. Seen, uh, well, I've have seen you not them. Seen the Hilary You've seen Conqueror Worm. I, sure. Yeah, no, I've seen all these movies that you're talking about. It's just... You know, I've seen so many movies, and when I talk to somebody who has some new insight or makes another comment about a movie that I hadn't considered before, it's like, well, now I've got to go back and rewatch it. Darn. You know? (laughs) Well, I mean, Cry of the Banshee, there's no doubt it's the worst of the Poe films, at least of the ones Vincent was in. I'd have to go back and rewatch it and Murders in the Room more to determine which is the worst that AIP ever made. And I don't want to do that, quite frankly. <laughs> so, I, I, But certainly of the ones Vincent was in, Cry of the Banshee is the worst. It was the last one he did. It's a blatant ripoff of Conqueror Worm. Vincent is not very good at it. He's phoning it in in that one. But it's a fascinating film to watch because of the weird family dynamics. Mm-hmm. There are all these hints of, 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 not just hints, pretty blatant suggestions of incest in the film. Hilary Dwyer's character is pretty obviously sleeping with her brother. There seems to be some sexual tension between Dwyer and Vincent Price, her father in the film. The film does a, a good job of showing this dysfunctional, messed up family and suggesting that the entire family has been polluted, cursed, if you will, by the evil in Vincent Price's character. And they pull that off very well. The rest of the film is a train wreck. It's the film where Terry Gilliam does the credits, just like he would do for the Monty Python. Oh, films. that's right, yeah. The opening credits are by Terry Gilliam. So you get, you got to admire that about the film, if nothing else. But it does have some interesting ideas, and maybe if someone like Roger Corman had directed it, it would have been a better picture. But yeah, I mean, even Vincent Price in his worst films, he is always fascinating to watch. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess that's Mark, the true movie star, right? Well, he always found something to kind of sink his teeth into to wrap himself around. And even something where he's only shooting the movie for a day or two because he doesn't have a really big role, those scenes still shine. Oh, yes. You know, it's just something about Vincent Price. He had a charisma, his voice, his presence, what he brought to the screen, and the relationships that he was able to find with his fellow actors and actresses is something that I've always appreciated and something that always impresses me, and even in a, a lower-budget film or one that's not so good. So, <laughs> Oh, and you talk to the people who made films with him. Most of them have very kind things to oh, say yeah. about him, about his sense of humor, about his professionalism. 
uh, about how he could do these horrifying things on screen and just be a really nice guy when the camera stopped rolling. It, it's obvious people enjoyed working with him and that they tried to keep up with him, his, his energy and his zest. Mm-hmm. I got to ask you about the Fives films. So in the Dr. Fives movies, these are really interesting movies for what they are, for the time they came out, that sort of thing. I've heard them called like the pre-Saw kind of movies. The, the Saw maybe took some inspiration from them, these incredible death machinations that happen in these films. But then Price is just amazing as Dr. Fives. But the movie, or both of them really, are kind of wrapped around not just him getting revenge, but there is the wife character. Oh, yes. And that seems to be a real central point of the movie as well as his relationship with the wife. And I just was hoping maybe you can comment on that a little bit. Well, one of the things about Dr. Five, some of the reasons why it's listed as uh, so many people's favorite Vincent Price movies is the humor. Mm-hmm. It's supposedly very campy, and there are elements of that, uh, particularly in the second one. I, it doesn't seem that campy to me. <laughs> sure. Uh, because the it, it really is a love story. Okay? It's just that the wife is dead and doesn't do a whole lot. Can't really reciprocate. <laughs> and she's really dead. I mean, she's not pretending to be dead like Barbara Steele and Fit in the Pendulum. Or she doesn't come back from the dead like Elizabeth Shepard in, in Tomb of Lygia. Mm-hmm. No, she's, she's dead as disco. <laughs> but Fives is completely in love with her. It is a very poesque, highly idealized, highly romanticized love affair. And that's what makes uh, the Fives character endearing. That comes through. They do such a good job in that film of establishing why Anton Fives is murdering all these doctors in these bizarre ways. His love is so great that his revenge must be great. (laughs) And it cannot be ordinary. It cannot just be, well, I'm going to go shoot these guys. I mean, you could have Dr. Fives shoot nine people, but that wouldn't be much of a film, would it? True. So in the terms of how extreme it all is, uh, I suppose that might be campy, but it really is a love story. And one of the things that I explore in the book, I don't want to give too much away, obviously. People (laughs) want to read it. One of the things that is interesting about the five films is there's a lot that is left out of the films. But in the original screenplay and in the novelization of the film, which is by one of the uh, screenwriters, uh, William Goldstein, I believe is his name, Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of stuff that's left out of the final film from the screenplay but it does show up in the novelization. So, if you remember the plot, Dr. Fives is hardly disfigured in a car wreck while racing to his wife's side while she's in the hospital where she dies during surgery. Well, why is she in the hospital? What's wrong with her? That's not made clear in the film, but through the screenplay and the novelization, we learn that she's basically having a hysterectomy, an emergency hysterectomy, and it goes very badly, obviously, and she dies. And uh, Joseph Cotton's character, Dr. Vesalius, has a line that was cut out of the final film, something to the effect of, uh, in cases like this, it is sometimes difficult to convince the husband. 
Mm-hmm. Well, to convince the husband of what? Well, her reproductive organs are being removed, and they don't have any children. So we have this very disturbing idea of husbands, men, controlling the sexuality of their wives, of women, and it ultimately causes their death. This highly romanticized love Dr. Fives feels for his wife is tinged with guilt, at least in the novelization and in the original screenplay. And that is the subtext in the film. And it also ties in with the Poe films, where the Poe protagonists love their departed women, but sometimes there's guilt associated because they may have directly or indirectly contributed to the deaths of these women. That's a very interesting thing about Fives. And another thing that's fascinating is his female sidekick, Volnavia. Mm-hmm. Uh, where did she come from? Did he place an ad in the paper? Wanted <laughs> hot female sidekick help me kill nine people? <laughs> I mean, was, there, was there a dental plan with this job? What's going on here? Of course, that's never really explored in the films. But in early drafts of the script, Volnavia was apparently a clockwork automaton, like Dr. Five's clockwork musicians. Mm-hmm. He was her creator. Now, significantly, that's left out of the film, so you're left to imagine, well, what else? Where else did she come from? Virginia North bears a passing resemblance to Caroline Monroe, who played uh, Victoria Fives mm-hmm. as a corpse in both films. And Caroline, incidentally, uh, wrote an introduction for the book, which uh, I'm very proud to have in it. Actually, she dictated it over the phone from England to me. Oh, really? (laughs) That's great. But for anyone who has not met Caroline Monroe at a fanboy show, comic book convention, whatnot, by all means meet her, because she is the single nicest uh, celebrity-type person I have ever met. And I've met a lot of them. And one of the nicest people I've ever met, period. And, and such a, a wonderful, wonderful person. And, frankly, one of my favorite screen queens with all the films she made with Vincent Price and that Hammer mm-hmm. and uh, other things. You might say it's a part that anybody could play, and Caroline was indeed mostly a professional model at the time. But she has an exquisite beauty. It's 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 somewhat ethereal, but also girl next door. It's perfect. You've got to have that for a character who exists as a corpse and then in some photographs and things. These are the things that suggest the depth of Fives' love and his perhaps conflicted feelings. But it's always struck me as interesting that Volnavia looks like Victoria a little bit, and the name sort of echoes Victoria. I don't know if that was intentional on the part of the screenwriters or not. However, it does suggest to me the possibility that Volnavia is some sort of clone, some sort of homunculus derived from Victoria, that she is, in a symbolic sense, the child Anton Fives and Victoria Fives never had. Of course, the the poster for the movie, advertising material, shows Fives kissing Volnavia. And that never happens in the movies. There is no uh, sexual or contact between the characters. None whatsoever. She wears all these different costumes. 
and she uh, dances with them and picks them dinner and everything. She performs these roles that are uh, suggestive of a, a, a wife or a romantic partner. But there is nothing sexual, nothing erotic between them. And that's partly because of Five's devotion to Victoria. Right. But I wonder if it's also because he sees his creation as his offspring. As you can tell, I've watched Dr. Five's a whole lot. There's nothing wrong with that at all. There's, there's, there's no judgment here. This is a safe place. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how many other people put this much thought into the Five's films, but a lot of people do love them, do think they're the perfect blend of, of comedy and horror. Certainly that dry British humor, sure, which is uh, something I'm into. Uh, it, it, it comes through in the first film very well. The second film, the, the comedy is a little too obvious. It's a little more blatantly comic. The first film, to me, is damn near perfect mm-hmm. uh, for what it does. He lives. From the depths of this unholy tomb, the Avenger rises. The abominable Dr. Fives, the most deadly mastermind of all crime. Specialist in the fine art of bizarre murder, each more different, each more devilish than the last. The Scorpions embrace. You bloody man! The Eagles caress. The sausage machine. The one hand persuader. has nothing to say, sir. Touche, Dr. Fibes. And as another victim falls, the world awaits your next blow of vengeance. Only one man, only one menace, only one diabolical mind could create such chilling terror. That's not a common thief, sir. Then, Inspector, we are faced with an impossible task. Well, there's no force in all the world could win a fight against such a supreme opponent. But you can't escape him. Hide, but he'll find you. Scream, but no one will hear you. So I'm sure there were many times Vincent wished he'd never gotten into the horror cycle. I'm sure there were a lot of films that he wished he hadn't made. But here we are talking about him uh, almost 22 years after his death. That's true. That's true. He, he is still known. He is still beloved. Mm-hmm. And still inspires. And yes, absolutely. He, he's an inspiration. There are other actors from his generation who uh, probably had a higher profile. Uh, got greater critical success. Do they inspire people like Vincent Price? Still does. And we could take out the name Vincent Price and we could stick in just about 
any of the, the horror stars. You know, Lugosi, Karloff, all of them. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, when, when you learn about these men, one thing they all had in common was they were very erudite. They were very well read. They did not all have advanced education, but they were all literate, intelligent, sensitive men. And I think that's why they brought so much to these parts. One of the things that makes Dr. Fives so fascinating to me, and, and to an extent, Theater of Blood, these films are uh, a little bit of a send-up of Vincent Price, but they also celebrate Vincent Price. In Dr. Five, there's the scene where he casts a, a rather skeptical glance at a painting in Terry Thomas's home after he's just drained the guy of all of his blood. Well, that's clearly a reference to Vincent's status as an art collector and, and art expert. Mm-hmm. He cooks up the Brussels sprouts to make the the goo to kill the nurse, Nurse Allen, in Dr. Fives. Well, that's a commentary on Vincent the Gourmet. Exactly. And someone who wrote with his wife one of the best-selling cookbooks of all time. Mm-hmm. If, if these men, and the women too, I think, uh, the Barbara Steeles and Caroline Monroe's and whatnot, if they weren't sensitive, intelligent people, I don't think they could have pulled off the performances they did. And I don't think we'd still be talking about them decades later. There is something that they bring as, as, as people of intelligence and, and culture and sensitivity. There's something they bring to the table that makes the difference. Mm-hmm. They all phoned it in at one time or another. That's a podcast we need to have, Derek. <laughs> Bad performances by great horror stars. There you go. There you go. As we've been sitting here talking, I mean, we've we've covered what I wanted to talk about for the show, and you've given me so much more uh, material here that I may be able to spin this into two or three different episodes. i got to have oh. you back on the show in the future, man. Well, I'll be glad to do it. And as you can tell, it's very difficult to get me to shut up once I get started. <laughs> no, we I definitely should make that happen. The things I know we care about, yeah, yeah, those, those I, I go on and on and on. So sorry if I ramble too much. Absolutely no problem at all. Like I said, you're giving me plenty of content. I think this is great. So, <laughs> excellent. Well, I do need to go ahead and start wrapping up. This book, the Vincent Price book is the most recent book for you. Do you have any other things coming that listeners might want to keep their eyes open for? Well, nothing official. Okay. There's a project I've been working on for several years. I'm watching all of the Academy Award Best Picture winners in chronological order. Oh, wow. The idea is I want to be able to say I've seen every movie that won Best Picture. Uh huh. And I can tell you what won Best Picture in any given year. That's one of my mutant superpowers. <laughs> Go ahead, Derek. Give me a year. Give me a year. Right? 1973. 1973 is The Sting, which is one that stands the test of time. But that's the other thing. I want to say I've seen them all, and I want to try to determine, do these films stand the test of times? Is the Oscar for Best Picture a really good barometer of a film being truly great? Oh, okay. And I've been working on this project for going on four years now and I hope to get them all watched this year and I've been writing them up and that's probably going to be the next next book 
uh, there's no contract, there's no official. I don't want to even talk to anybody until I'm caught up. I'm oh, up sure. to the 90s now. I get to sit through the English patient next, uh-huh. which I've seen before, and yeah, I don't really want to see it again, but oh well. <laughs> anyway, that is the the next book project, probably. Uh, Chris Bart and I are talking about possibly doing a follow-up to the fan culture book. And you never know what's going to happen next. But I would say, uh, unless someone comes up with an offer I can't refuse, the Academy Award book will probably be the next one. But we're still a couple of years away from that. Right on. Well, please keep us posted on that. Like I said, we need to have you back on the show down the line. Sounds like there's a, a lot of uh, material we can mine here from your experiences and your knowledge of these movies. I mean, the knowledge and the, the passion that you have for these kinds of movies comes through loud and clear in the women in the horror films of Vincent Price. And I've loved talking with you. We'll have you on in the future sometime this year. Well, thank you. I'm so glad you enjoyed the book. And I'm so glad you uh, wanted to talk to me. I love doing this sort of thing. Again, big thanks to Jonathan for making this happen. I really appreciate him going out of his way, taking the time to chat with us about his book, Vincent Price movies, and just horror in general. It was a great conversation. In fact, you guys and gals sitting here, all of it. I have a little bit extra that I pulled out that I'm going to be using in the future. So stay tuned for more Jonathan Malcolm Lampley goodness in the future next month. So February was Women in Horror Month. And here on Monster Kid Radio, we celebrated the women who were involved in classic monster movies. Here's what some of the listeners thought. Hey, Derek, this is Steve Sullivan. You were trolling for uh, Women in Horror Month. And that's that's a really cool thing. And my mind immediately went to... Uh, old-time stars, Evelyn Ankers, who's the queen of all-time horror queens, I think. Just uh, an amazing amount of really good work in horror movies, though I don't think she was ever really a monster, though she was certainly monstrous in at least uh, one of the inner sanctum mysteries. Uh, and Julie Adams, obviously, for her role in Creature. That's, uh, those are the two that pop right into my head. Um, for characters, I'm crazy about Nikki in the thing from another world. She's the uh, the one that that drinks Captain Henry under the table and ties him up. She's just awesome. She's a great character. I'm also very fond of Pat, the woman scientist from Them, who tells uh, James Arness off when he doesn't want her to go down into the ant nest, and she's like, "Look, I don't have time to teach you biology, Mister." <laughs> she's a great character too. Uh, and since this was up on your uh, on your Facebook page, the uh, other people mentioned some some actresses that I immediately went, yeah, of course. I was just thinking too far back. Uh, obviously, Carolyn Monroe, great uh, great scream queen, and the amazing Barbara Steele, who is uh, I'm happy to keep finding new things she's in that I haven't seen, and and she's definitely one of the all-time great, maybe even uh, head of anchors in the sense that she was actually the creature, the monster, uh, the ghost a lot of the time. So she's just awesome. And, and who can not love Ingrid Pitt as well? Anyway, those are the ones that spring to mind. I'm sure there are others I'm forgetting. I mean, do you consider Sigourney Weaver or is she like uh, out at the end of the year, uh, your uh, monster queen uh, reign in the 1970s? So anyway, 
Great show. Keep up the great work. Enjoy. Hi, Derek. It's Alan Trump from St. Louis. Hope everything is going well. Uh, listen, thanks for the uh, invitation to mention uh, some of the famous ladies of horror that we really like. I guess my favorite from the 50s would have to be, and I'm not sure I'm pronouncing your name right, Faith Demerge, who was in uh, This Island Earth and Cult of the Cobra, and of course it came from Beneath the Sea. And personally, I think that she deserves, she and Basil Rathbone deserve a medal for their work in Voyage to the Prehistoric Planet, being sort of the single actors and actresses that kind of held together Roger Corman and Peter Bogdanovich's uh, dubbed movie about Russian cosmonauts and things. Um, she was great in that as space pilot Marsha. Uh, she kind of was a little bit sort of a, a, a precursor to Sandra Bullock's role in Gravity, being all alone up there in the spacecraft by herself, sort of. Didn't care much for that hair bun that she wore in that, but hey, she's always a wonderful woman. Take care and uh, hope everything is going well. Bye now. Thank you for your contributions, everybody. And I agree. All of these people, all of these women have made such an impact on the types of movies that we love so much. And this month really helped me deepen my appreciation for the women who have been involved in these movies. The Evelyn Anchors episode was amazing. I loved going back and watching it conquered the world. The Vincent Price films have so many strong women in them. And the Q&As from Horror Hound Weekend October with Caroline Monroe and Veronica Carlson, courtesy of Scott Morris. This was a fun month to put together. Next month on Monster Kid Radio, back to normal, where we're just kind of all over the place talking about some of our favorite monster movies with some of our favorite people. Now, this recording is going out on Thursday, which means last night I was at the Joy Cinema for a showing of The Last Man on Earth. Now, if I can just play with the timeline a little bit, I'm actually recording this segment Wednesday morning, so I haven't been there yet, but I'm assuming that I will have recorded the Monster Kid Radio crash, and that's the audio you're going to get probably next week here on Monster Kid Radio. I've got a few bits and pieces left over from my conversation with Jonathan. I also have a couple of minutes with Paul McComas when I had him on to talk about Evil and Anchors. We started talking about something else that I'm going to include next month on Monster Kid Radio. I have Keith Rainville scheduled to be on the show. He is the man behind the website from Parts Unknown, from PartsUnknown.net. It's all about Lucha Libre, and we ended up talking about Mexican horror movies and, of course, the Luchador Hero films. I also, as of this recording, have a scheduled Skype session with Nicholas Hatcher, the man behind the brand new podcast, Vampire Over Hollywood. You can find that at lugosipodcast.blogspot.com. That's set to happen as well. And we're going to talk about a non-Bela Lugosi movie, but there are still some ties and some connections to Bailey. You know what? It's a Dwight Fry flick. So we're going to talk about that with him as well. That'll be happening in March. Last bit of business that I want to share with everybody regarding Creature Casts Among Us, which was the spinoff podcast that we launched after everybody helped us get 50 honest reviews in the iTunes store. I will be forever grateful to the listeners for doing that. If you're an iTunes user and you gave us a review, thank you. If you haven't done that yet, of course, you know, we always want you to give us the most honest feedback possible and would like a review there as well. I love Creature from the Black Lagoon, and I love Creature Cast Among Us. And I know at the beginning of the year, I talked about making it its own feed and its own show and that sort of thing. However, some things have happened since then. If I can just kind of peel back the podcasting curtain a little bit, I had a health scare. I had some health things happen with me that are requiring me to step back on a couple of things. And really, it's for the best. I get it. I had some heart stuff happen. Now, I'm fine. And to continue being fine, 
I have to eliminate some things from my personal life, just you know, making some adjustments, that sort of thing. So because of that, I have to put Creature Cast Among Us on hiatus for now as its own show. That's not to say I won't talk about Creature on Monster Kid Radio proper. In fact, the planned episodes that I had for Creature of Cast Among Us will be incorporated into Monster Kid Radio proper. So it won't be too long before you get some Creature from the Black Lagoon goodness here on Monster Kid Radio. I actually have something really cool that was sent in from one of the listeners I'm going to be going over the next time we talk about Creature, which, you know what, let's just go ahead and say it. It's going to be sometime next month. So stay tuned for that. This way you don't have to subscribe to another show. It's all going to be here on Monster Kid Radio. I want to thank you everybody for your support here on monster kid radio and my other podcasting ventures i really appreciate my listeners without the listeners well i'm just talking to myself which i tend to do anyway but i appreciate everybody's support why don't i go ahead and wrap up and let you know that monster kid radio is a registered service mark of monster kid radio llc all original content of monster kid radio by monster kid radio llc is licensed under a creative commons attribution non-commercial no derivatives 3.0 unported license of course that doesn't apply to the song music to watch girls by that belongs to the Chong Devils. It's on their album, Surf and Sounds of the Chong Devils. This is where you find them. Facebook. Look up Chong Devils, and it's spelled K-R-O-N-T-J-O-N-G, and then Devils. Or you can find them on Bandcamp as well. Look up Chong Devils there. Although I don't think this album is actually on Bandcamp. I actually picked my copy up through Amazon. Either way, let them know that Monster Kid Radio sent you when you check them out. Talk to everybody next week. Hey.